Six Foot Plus, a program of music and more for those who like it spooky. Broadcasting from a remote corner of the front office, found online at sixfootplus.com.
Welcome to Six Foot Plus, a program of music and more for those who like it spooky. Found every week at sixfootplus.com, on the Stitcher mobile app, on Spreaker.com, and on iTunes. If you subscribe to Six Foot Plus, please rate, review, and recommend. Every little bit helps. So, dear listener, welcome. It's a special episode of Six Foot Plus. Yes, April 1st marked two years of this podcast's existence. Two years! Amazing, right? It's unbelievable to think that it's been going on for so long or so short. It feels like it's been going on for decades to me, like I've always been doing Six Foot Plus and always will. That if it ever stops, I stop. Uh, it's a good idea that with each new year, you know, we get some changes going, something to freshen up the program. As you can tell, we have a new opening, and we have some new background music. No more Frankie and the Ghouls. Now we have music by the Space Cossacks and occasionally by the Madeira. Shavala Egon indeed, and I think after two years I might have actually pronounced that correctly. Hooray for me. Even though it's our birthday, I'm giving you some presents with new segments. You'll hear the debut of Heather Buckley's Odd Scurities as well as All This and Gore. On top of that, perhaps you caught that as we started, but this podcast has now gone weekly. Yes, weekly. weekly. What am I doing? Don't really know, but instead of an every other week schedule, you'll be able to enjoy each Friday with a mash of music, monsters, and more. Found online at sixfootplus.com. Say it with me. That's the number six, FTPLUS.com. Because it's going weekly, I'm going to trim down the episode length because I don't want to burn out and I don't want to burn you out, dear listener. We've had shows that ran the gambit of anywhere between 45 minutes to nearly two hours. Um, This episode, it'll be a little bit longer, somewhere in the middle of that. But after this episode, expect Six Foot Plus to fit about 60 to 70 minutes each week. That's a good size amount, a decent amount of time. There will be, as always, plenty of music and, of course, the Monster Mat Minute. Before we get started, let me take a moment to thank everyone who has contributed to Six Foot Plus in the past year. We had Dr. Gain Green come on and offer some of the better segments with his Metal Morgue. Monster Matt Patterson has become a part of the program, and we had a huge cast of people from all different types of podcasts come together on last October's special. One of the constants of this program is someone you don't usually hear Weird John of Gravediggers Local 16. He has been a huge help in discovering new, bizarre, and interesting music for Six Foot Plus. I thank him for the last two years of helping make this show what it is. So this song, Something Weird by the Dead Tones, is dedicated to all the great work that John has put into Six Foot Plus, making it something weird. So John, thank you. You're appreciated. Together again. Whoa, it's something weird. When you're 
your draft style into something supernatural? The twin power of VoodooSugar.com will put the magic back into your step. Pins, buttons, bags of all shapes and sizes, tees, stickers, magnets, and more. High quality, low prices. That's that's for one. one. VoodooSugar.com. Cool swag for the living and living dead. Hi, this is Debbie Rashawn, and you are listening to the Six Foot Plus Podcast, baby. Listen up.
Tombstone Brawlers with Demonatrix, and then it was The Highliners and Gravedigger Stomp, a song I heard off of Nate's Psycho Billy Garden Party. Nate's been good in promoting the show, though it's hard to get the ridiculous name of this program right. Six Feet Under or Six Feet Beyond, it's easy to get it mixed up with Six Foot Plus. That's why I always say the number six, F-T-P-L-U-S. It's mainly so that I can remember this show's name as well as you, dear listener. Six Foot Plus, though I will admit, makes it sound like some ridiculous indie rock band from, oh, Australia. I thought maybe with a new year I might change the name. The Dead Vampire song that opened up the show, Monster Radio, seems like a great name to take for the show, but then that means getting a new domain name, changing everything on Facebook and Twitter and iTunes. Plus, if we start calling it Monster Radio, everyone's going to think it's just an hour of the Monster Matt Minute. Cool morning, maniacs. <laughs> yes, that's right. It is I, your fiend, yours truly, Monster Matt Patterson. And maniacs, break out the party favors, the uh, hats and all the whatnot. Champagne, maybe. I don't know. Uh, we are celebrating our second birthday here at Six Foot Plus. Yes, it's true. We are two years old. We've entered our terrible twos. How about that? Uh, we've even extended our weird little family with new dismembers. Let's see what I did there. And to celebrate, I'm, uh, I'm going to borrow a couple of lines from the idiotic song, the thrift shop song. <laughs> Oh, we're going to the morgue and pop toe tags. We've got 20 eyeballs taken from their sockets. Ugh, mine's 
better? Uh, maybe not. Okay, maniacs. You know, we've got a wild and wooly bunch. Uh, <laughs> listen to these weirdos. They've got Strange Jason, Weird John, Dr. Gangrene, Heather Buckley, Tammy DuPaul, and J.R. Watkins, and yours drooly, of course. Yeah, we're like a sideshow freak version of the Brady Bunch. <laughs> oh, Alice. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I can't stop. You know that, maniacs. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, yeah, happy birthday to us. Uh, what are you going to get us for gifts? I don't know. How about this? I will gift to you a couple of jokes. Uh, what musician is the favorite of the Triffids? Robert Plant. <laughs> anyone anyone um i couldn't leaf that one alone <laughs> oh god why do i do that Ooh. how about some more okay uh <laughs> what musician does the crawling hand like robert palmer <laughs> that's two 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 bobs for the price of one Okay, uh, Dr. Hill from The Reanimator, Jason Voorhees' mom, Jan Compton from The Brain That Wouldn't Die, or Jan from The Pan, um, because her head was sitting in a pan. Get it? Uh, that's, that's what it says on the IMDb, anyways. Uh, they are all scouting for a location for their new headquarters. Um, they're kind of upset. They're not having much luck, but I told them... Hey, it's nothing to lose your heads over. Hey, ho, 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 too late. <laughs> How do horror film cannibals stay so fit? They use the Tom Atkins diet. <laughs> wow. If you don't get that one, well, you got to be in the know to know, you know? Um, yeah, I know. It's, it's bad. It's a problem. It really is. Um... Finally, finally, dear maniacs, before I go and grab a piece of celebratory cake, um, did you know, oh, geez, this is horrible. I heard this off the wire. Uh, uh-oh, J-Lo wants in on the horror film biz. She's trying to combine a Friday the 13th film with one of her snooze fests. I hear it's called Friday the 13th. Jason takes the maid in Manhattan. <laughs> oh my God, why did I do that? Ooh. <laughs> Maniacs, that's all my time. I thank you very much and happy birthday, six foot plus. Bye-bye. You just survived the Monster Matt Minute with Monster Matt Patterson. To find out more about Monster Matt, his adventures, and to read his new horror comedy comic, head over to Ha Ha Horror found online at hahahorror.com. Well, this is Radio Saccoon. It picks you up when you want to know. For a little show, if you're ready to explode, here comes Radio Saccoon. We'll make the headlines of the news, then we'll show the right end. Radio Psycho!
This is Alexandra West. This is Andrea Subasati from the Faculty of Horror. And you're listening to Six Foot Plus. J.M. Fry, author of Chip Chick, and you're listening to Six Foot Plus. 
supported me. I know. Listen up, you groovy girls and chilly chicks. Here's a horror hip to bubble your blood. I called up the monster DJ. and The Monster DJ, followed by The Fiends and Gravedigger. Madsen and Radio Psycho was in there as well. Before we go any further, let me take a moment to mention Cadavers and Cocktails, a collection of short stories about human suffering and the overcoming of it. It was brought to my attention by the author Jill Stodola, who posted about it over at the Facebook page. You can check it out for yourself over at Jill Stodola, J-I-L-L-S-T-O-D-O-L-A dot com. Now we're going to open up one of those presents for you, a new segment called Heather Buckley's Obscurities. For Obscurities, I ventured out from the front office to track down Heather Buckley to talk with her and her knowledge of overlooked horror movies. This segment will happen, oh, maybe once a month or every three weeks or so. So enjoy now the debut of Heather Buckley's Obscurities. Welcome to Heather Buckley's Obscurities. I'm Strange Jason, 
And we're here in the nerve center of horror known as Buckley Manor in scenic New Jersey. <laughs> Please welcome Miss Heather Buckley. Hello, Jason. How's it going? It's going very well. I'm so glad that you made it here past the Morlocks, Truds, and Trolls to come visit me. Yeah, all I had to do was go to Port Authority. <laughs> People fear Jersey. I don't understand that. It's not that bad. I think it's because of all Lloyd Kaufman's films about New Jersey and our toxic waste problem and our monsters. And the drugs. Don't forget the drugs. And the drugs, yes. Heather Buckley's work has been published in Fangoria Magazine, online at dreadcentral.com, and throughout the horror universe. She's of many talents, one of which is being highly knowledgeable of films that have been often overlooked or underappreciated by the collective minds of monsters everywhere. She's here to give these odd, off-the-beaten-path films a second chance at the spotlight. So what are we talking about today? We're going to talk about Larry Fessenden's film, Habit. Habit. It came out in 1995. It was part of his production company, Glassline Picks, put it out. And for your viewership, he's actually a very big staple of independent horror in New York City. He's a, he's a very important guy because the way he talks about horror is very academic. He brings a lot of interesting projects. And Habit is sort of a reflection of something like that. It's, a, it's, an, independent, it's an independent production story about finding love in new, in new york city oh the, the great classic story but the problem is what if you fall in love with someone and they're a vampire um you go to a free clinic <laughs> well i mean was when did this come out again this came out in 1995 so if you i don't think it was really around the aids epidemic yeah that's that's where i was going with that question i think that's earlier 90s late 80s and the film doesn't really, I think the, the film really deals with fear of love and again, the all-consuming aspect of love and sexuality. It's a very, uh, it's a very quirky film. It's actually a very, uh, very sexual film. Most people, most people haven't seen it because I think that a lot of glass eye pick stuff is under everybody's radar. Mm-hmm. I was able to see it because I've known about, I saw, I, what is it, I, I saw The Dead, and I just loved it, and I wanted to go back and see the other films that he made. And I said, like, oh, vampire, a vampire love story, but it sort of had an edge in it. It had a, it had a, it had a grit to it, and it had just some fabulous. A lot of, a lot of the stuff I'm also interested in, other than obscure, sort of strange films and sort of very extreme films, is sort of sexuality in films, mm -hmm. and just the way that it's handled. Because Larry, if anyone has seen him, you know, he he looks like. An average and an average guy. He has he has a very a very kind of a quirky, interesting look about him. He's missing a tooth, and so he's our romantic lead, okay. right? And he's a, he's a great actor. He looks like a character actor, and the woman who plays the vampire is also very plain, but it's it's very it's very hot and steamy. Almost feels a little bit like uh, there's even dream sequences in it, like the film Nosferatu. Oh. How so? The just with the composition of film, or the fact that the actors aren't, you know, completely polished superstars of film like Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise. Well, there's there's a whole dream sequence that happens on a ship, and there's a lot of interesting gel effects, mm -hmm. and it's and it's obvious that they're positioning her like a like a a Nosferatu type. I like it because it it's really a time capsule of 1995 in New York City. It's small. It's indie. Its stock isn't very isn't very slick. Mm -hmm. 
and it's more of a character study of the of, of the two people as sort of they fall in love, find each other. I mean, and 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 Larry's character sort of gets sick throughout it. But again, I don't, I can't really put my finger on it if it's really talking about the uh, the AIDS epidemic at the time. So this is the classic story of what boy lives in the big city, boy finds himself a girl, girl turns out to be a vampire. What's the big uh, conflict towards this foreverlasting love? If we were to like try to lure the Twilight people in to kind of show them something better. Well, I always feel if you want to get the Twilight to people to to like something better, Habit would would definitely be it. But I don't know if it was it's a little too rough around the edges for them because it really does have a grit a gritty indie feel. I mean, it's hard to say. Like when we're all from the New York City area and we're watching films, sort of films like like, like Taxi Driver or New York Ripper, we sort of. I'm very fascinated in that it's sort of ta talking about some time in Manhattan, the way the streets are, the, sh the shops were open, the, the, the folks that, that hung out. So I just, I, I adore that aspect of it. That is a time capsule of, of, of Manhattan. And I just, I love films that are a character study. And, and unlike films that really action is really propelling the plot, it's really watching the characters. I think they're, they're very well written. They're very interesting. And it just talks about, you know, at some point there's love, but at some point love is going to love is going to con consume you. And not to give, of course, the, the, the plot away, but she does, you know, like all vampires, it's like you, you turn on your ob object of desire. It's really interesting because I think uh, Larry's character is kind of playing uh, a little bit like, you know, love slave and almost like the, the Renfield character. I mean, there's really Dwight Fry a little bit about his performance as he's sort of transformed by loved and drained and drained by love until he has to sort of c confront like was she a vampire or not a vampire so they also play with that supernatural element like is it his paranoia his fear of relationships is it something a little bit like polanski's tenant or or rosemary's baby where they kind of toyed with the whole idea that it wasn't just the devil it was her own paranoia I mean, a, there, a little a little I mean, is there any point in this film where they do confirm that she is a vampire or is it more like in that closet? It's slightly, it's not, it's never revealed 100%. It's a slightly open interpretation that she may not have been a vampire. But it sort of leans towards the supernatural thing because um, Glass Eye Picks does a lot of genre films. So they're not people who are creating an independent film. It's like, oh, maybe it's a vampire. It's like they, they truly embrace films that have a supernatural element. If I've had, I had to compare it to two other films that are out there, probably Nausea. Mm -hmm. which came out um, in, in the 90s and definitely Abel Farrar's The Addiction. So if I had to say, like, uh, what would be my triple feature, that's sort of the films that you would watch them with. Again, independent spirit, very gritty, and just dealing with most vampire films, I guess most interesting vampire films, deal with the idea of vampire as a metaphor mm -hmm. other than vampire as a straight monster. Because I think if I'm watching From Dust Till Dawn, those are vampires. Yeah. I don't think there's any subtext that we're dealing with, but it's about having fun and watching va vampires that explode. Not that, I'm, not that I'm a fan of that film, because I feel that vampires should straight up have fangs. Once they're starting looking ghoulish, they're going into the monster range, but that's my own prejudice about how vampires should look on film. They need to be beautiful. And I was thinking, uh, when you think about the original text of, of Dracula, even Horror of Dracula, even though it's about the vampire there, a lot of the, I think a lot of the things that Stoker was writing about was just fear of the outsider. And I think actually fear of like other people coming into your country and sort of taking over back in the day.
it's very it's very xenophobic. Now, comparing this movie to, as you mentioned, Dust Till Dawn, where the vampires in there are more ghoulish and more creatures, I would say, of lust and of more of the more primal urges. Comparing that to Nosferatu and Dracula, which seemed more love. I mean, where does this film have it fall in between? Well, I don't, I don't believe that. Well, Horror of Dracula, aka Dracula in the UK was less was less about love and more about the, the savagery of the beast, mm-hmm. almost uh, Levine in a sense. Then you have uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is more about love, but there's also the, the, the beast side of love. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Bram Stoker's Dracula is a very successful, successful film. I think it's a very experimental, very interesting film to watch, but it's sort of a, a d- dealing, dealing with that. It's dealing with the beast of love. There's actually a even slightly more obscure film which can only be gotten on dvd called to die for mm-hmm. which is sort of the story about two vampires that are fighting over one woman and again it's like retelling of the lucy story again it's a story of, of that's a story about love and power and that the opposite of sort of like the, the tenderness that loves bring and the savagery that loves bring so I would, I would sort of position in that sort of in that sort of level, but it really is. It's like it's an indi- it's like it's like an in- '90s indie film with vampires in it, <laughs> and the and 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 the uh, the sex scenes are great in it, or at least the lo- the, lo- the love making scenes are very they're very passionate, they're very weird, and again you're dealing with people that look like human beings, and I think that's when I watch Habit, it's it's very interesting to see that. Like they're not glad. It's, it's it's not it's not glamour. It's not movie stars. It's real New Yorkers fucking and being vampires. And that's probably how it would turn out. Like in the East Village, it'd be really subtle. But it would be very uh, under the radar. Mm-hmm. She she kind of shows up at a at a Halloween party and seduces him. So it's a very it's a very sort of like small film and it's in its microcosm. It's not big. There's not any giant effects. Mm-hmm. It's very personal. It sounds very real. It is. There, there's there's a great amount of realism to it. And again, realism of, of that time in the 90s. Now, if someone wanted to track down this film, where would they go? I mean, is it- Amazon. I mean, you can get it on, uh, they get it on DVD. I think a lot of the films that we sort of compared it to, they're, they're available. Mm-hmm. It's just To Die For, which is a film with um, Brendan Hughes in it. I believe if you go to a con, maybe you can get a, you can get a copy of it. I have it taped off HBO when I was 14 years old. And that brings it all back to back to square one. Well, so we've been talking about Habit, widely available, highly recommended. And I recommend a lot of stuff that um, Fessening does. I think he has a great, unique vision and eye, and he gathers collaborators that are that are stellar. And Glenn McClade being one of them who did the uh, I Sell the Dead. It's very funny, very low budget. And also, if you have any filmmakers that listen to you, it's like it doesn't. It, does, it takes a good story and a great characters to make a very engaging piece of cinema. Because this one is not is not about effects. It's not about crazy cutting. It's about letting the story happen. It's about really knowing your location and environment and just sort of absorbing it into your film stock or into your digital camera. Like one, she dresses like one, like a cat of the cop, but having too much.
Alexander, editor-in-chief of Fangoria Magazine, and you're listening to 666-foot-foot-foot-plus-plus-plus-plus-plus in stereo, 3D, Cinerama, Technicolor, widescreen, anamorphic, and all the other bells and whistles. Let me try that again. <coughs> this is Chris Alexander, editor-in-chief of Fangoria Magazine, and you're listening to 666-foot-foot-foot-plus-plus-plus-plus-plus. Listen, listen often. I do. Rock 
Gravediggers and Gravediggers Song. If you want to get in touch with Gravediggers Local 16, you can go to gravediggerslocal.com or you can like them on Facebook, facebook.com slash gravediggerslocal. Hey, while you're at it, go to facebook.com slash sixfootplus and like us too. You can follow both GDL16 and sixfootplus on Twitter at GDL16 and at sixfootplus. Number six, F-T-P-L-U-S. Well, we had our first new segment, and it's time now for the second, All This and Gore, brought to you by TwistedCentral.com. Tammy and JR, both writers for the horror blog, have gotten together to talk about the going-ons in horror with a little bit of a review here and there. This was recorded about a week ago, so it's going to mention something that's already happened, and that's perfectly fine by me. Uh, That's the problem with having an every other week schedule, but thankfully we're now going weekly over here at Six Foot Plus. You better appreciate it or I'll find you. You'll hear all this in gore about once or twice a month, give or take. Enjoy now the first edition of All This and Gore. You're listening to Diane Franklin for Twisted Central, All This and Gore. If you stay here. Welcome, everybody, to the very first episode of All This and Gore. That's a pretty cool name. It is a pretty cool name. Yeah, Jason at Six Foot Plus came up with that. We should have taken credit for that. Yeah, we probably should have. I can cut that out, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm Tammy. I'm I'm JR. You can get in touch with us at TwistedCentral.com, or you can email us at info at TwistedCentral.com. Or you can follow and stalk us on Twitter at Twisted Central and at JR91780. We prefer you stalk us. Yeah. That's a lot more fun. You can also find JR at pit-of-horror.com. That's his, what do you call it? It's my alter ego. Yeah, his <laughs> alter ego. <laughs> I lost my words there for a minute. Yeah, you did. <clears throat> And it's going to happen a lot, trust me. Get used to it. <laughs> Bates Motel premiered Monday on the 18th. I did hear about that. I've heard nothing but good stuff about it. It was I've pretty heard. good. What channel is it on, by the way? It's on A&E. Okay. Um, check that out. Yeah, it airs Mondays at 10, 9 central. The premiere got like 3 million viewers. It's not terrible. No, it actually makes it the highest ranking premiere in A&E's history as far as like a drama goes wow. so yeah so that's pretty that's pretty cool for them i guess yeah 
Um, I like I liked it okay. It wasn't what I was expecting. I see Psycho. The original one came out in 1960, and this was like billed as a um, sort of like a prequel to that. So it's kind of like where Psycho Four kind of was. I didn't. I don't even think I ever watched Psycho Four. I kind of droned out about the third one. Yeah, the third one I really loved. But the fourth one was kind of uh, Norman on the phone on a radio chat line, basically going oh, through his childhood. Yes, I d- actually did see that. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was not bad. It's not that good either. But I guess it's, I kind of don't have any expectations on the Bates Motel because what I read about it, so I don't really know what to expect. Well, I was I was at least expecting it to be like set back in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Because it's supposed to be about Norman when he was a teenager, and it's not. It's set, like, in today. Interesting. So, yeah. Oh, Norman is chatting up on the iPhone. He's hanging out with slutty chicks and going to parties with strobe lights and loud music. I wonder if he gets to go to the chocolate factory. The what factory? Chocolate factory. The chocolate factory. It's Charlie from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, is he? I never saw that either. I don't watch those. I buy yeah. them for my kids, but I never watch them. Oh, okay. I try not to, anyway. You're not going to admit you do that. No. Why would I do that? <laughs> and um, I guess we should talk a little bit about The Walking Dead, seeing as how it's coming up on its finale. I don't know. I don't know if it's a popular enough show or not. To talk oh, about. sure. Okay. <laughs> I think it's easily one of the highest ranking shows on cable television right now. I think it is the highest ranking. Is it the highest ranking? I know. I'm um, pretty sure. I know the... This season premiere got like 10 million viewers, mm-hmm. and then when they came back from their mid with their mid season premiere, it was like over 12 million. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was pretty. I mean, that's pretty phenomenal, especially for a cable show. I and mean, this isn't an ABC or NBC. That's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, they say bullshit. They do say bullshit. They say they say a lot of stuff, and there's a lot of things that happen on that show that I never thought I'd see on even a cable channel. Yeah, that's cool. the the first time I heard him say something like I don't know some one of them said like God damn it or bullshit or something. Mm-hmm. I was thinking it was almost on the level of like when they first showed um, that guy's ass in NYPD Blue. Yeah, yeah, because I know it, that was a big deal because <laughs> that was like network TV and they were showing somebody's ass. I mean, Breaking Bad does the same stuff though too. I've never they don't have zombies exploding and guts flying out, but. It... They have the uh, cussing and. But isn't that a isn't that a um, like an HBO? That's an AMC. Oh, is it? Yep. I've I've never watched it. Yeah, it's fantastic. I so hear people say up, that a lot. We've got two episodes left of The Walking Dead. <clears throat> yes, and did you read the interview with Andrew Lincoln? I've tried to stay away from any spoilers. No, no, no! It's not a spoiler. He gave a um, an interview with Rolling Stone. Where he said, in the March 31st finale, 27 people will die. I can believe that, though, because you get all those people in Woodbury. Yeah. I, I don't think many of them, if any, are going to make it. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Most of them were going to be like background Woodbury people. Um, I have some predictions who I think is going to die. Yeah, I do, too. Well, I know, I, I know for sure one that will die, but I, I'll just keep that to myself. Yeah, I'd do that. Um, but there are supposed to be like two major players that that are gone after this season. Wow. Yeah. I mean, if anything happens to Daryl, I, I think they'll probably lose half their viewership. 
Oh, please. They're not They're not going to go anywhere with Daryl. He's right there, I'm sure. If anything, I would think it would be Merle. Yeah, I was going to say Merle's another story. Yeah. He's he would he's an, he's expendable. Yeah. There's a couple other ones that are expendable too. But I did hear him say that like um Carl is it, Lori Holden gave some interview where she was like, Carl ain't gonna go nowhere. Yeah, I did read that. Well, I mean <laughs> he's supposed to be like, you know, he's the future of the group. Yeah. He's being dressed to be the leader. Yeah. Is if if they if they're going by the um comic because yeah. I think he turns into, like, some major badass in the comic. I haven't right. read them, but my son reads them. I don't read them either, but, I mean, I've heard people talk about the comics. Um, I think in the comics, like, this war that's coming up, like, half the people in the prison die. Hmm. So. But they haven't really gone anything anywhere close to where the comics are. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I hear, too. My I mean, son Darryl's not even in the comics. I, yeah, I know that, too. And I think Tyrese is supposed to be a bigger player in the comics, too. Yep. And he was supposed to have shown up a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. But, like I said, I don't read them. My son does. So, he kind of gives me the what for when it comes on. <laughs> or he'll text me. I always know when it's something something happens. Because if he's not home, he has these little Walking Dead um, watch parties, I guess. Uh-huh. <laughs> And if he's not home, he'll he'll text me and he'll go, "Did you watch Walking Dead?" And the first thing I go, I, I'll type back, I'll text him, and I'll say, "Did Daryl die?" <laughs> and he'll go, "No, Mom, Daryl didn't die." I'm like, "Okay, I'll watch it then." <laughs> I like him too, so I think he's a badass. Yeah, yeah, he definitely adds something to the show. Yeah, it, but it'll it's it's definitely going to be interesting. What do we have left? Um, how many episodes? Like two? Two. Yeah, and March 31st is the finale. Yeah. I bet that's... I'm, I'd like to... I want to see those ratings when it's done. Yeah, that's... The finale is going to be pretty huge. And I also read something that you were pretty interested in, that Crave Online did an interview with Wes Craven, where he mentioned he would kind of like to remake Shocker. Yeah. Remaking Shocker is actually pretty interesting to me, because... Shocker, it's not my favorite Craven movie, but it's definitely a great film. It's a great slasher film. I'd like to see what he would do with remaking that, and I think he had also mentioned he wanted to make remake uh, People Under the Stairs. Yeah, that was mentioned in the article, too. He didn't say for sure if anything was going to happen, but he, he just said because of mo- like the visual effects of Shocker, some of mm-hmm. them were so bad. Yeah, they were. <laughs> and, I, I mean, I'd, I watched Shocker... Probably last year it came on, like, sci-fi or chiller or something like that. And um, I caught it then. But I'd, I've i never noticed any really bad. If I went in watching for it, I'd probably find it. But I never noticed anything that was so bad that he would want to remake it. Yeah, I mean, Shocker's a great movie. And the first half of the movie is fantastic. It starts to drag about halfway through a little bit. Um <laughs> When they jump in the TV and they start fighting it out on the TV, that kind of always throws me off. But Yeah, I think that's what he was talking about the t- the, in the TV stuff. Yeah, yeah that, <clears throat> that part was terrible. <laughs> now I'm going to have to go back and watch it again just to see how bad it is. People Under the Stairs, I would actually invite that remake. I mean, not that it was a bad movie because it wasn't. It was great. But I would like to see what they would do with that. 
Yeah, and if you get it's such a cool concept, and if you get the guy that you know, if you get the guy that originally did it, you know, uh-huh. I think it would have a lot more. You know, Craven would has his heart in that movie. You know, so I think he would he would also add heart to the the remake that it wouldn't have if it was made by somebody else. Right. Yeah, he would kind of kind of sit back <clears> and say, "Well, you know, I could have done this or I could have done this," and he could do that in the remake. Yeah, that would be interesting too. And uh, Lords of Salem, have you read the reviews on that? I've read a couple, um, a little mixed. Yeah, it's getting pretty mixed reviews. I mean, it's a zombie movie. Some people are gonna love it. Some people are gonna hate it. It's just one of those things. Yeah, he's. I don't think. I think his movies are always right down the middle. Yeah, pretty much. <clears throat> but from what I, I was really excited for it when I first heard about it last year, and. Um, I've seen previews recently, and I'm a little less excited because it looks it, it looks like it start it's going to be one of those just really weird movies. Yeah, but I hope it proves me wrong. I hope I like it. Yeah, I've I've heard it called everything from uh, his most ambitious and mature film to lazy and irrelevant. Hmm. So I mean, I've I've it's all over the board. Yeah, that that's pretty uh, that's pretty out there. And I mean, he's he's a great he's a good director. He's definitely um, you know he he's a very visual person. Mm-hmm. So he likes to kind of just slam you with these this really vivid imagery, you know. And that's you know for me that's that's good. But yeah, I mean, he has Zombie has a lot of good storylines, and but when it comes to the directing point of it, part of it, something something happens to where he doesn't get. I think he doesn't get his full vision across because it always just kind of seems that there's something missing. Well, can you imagine how, like, warped his brain is? Yeah, he's fucked up. (laughs) He's got to be one of the most warped-brained persons, people on the planet. Persons. He's a person. I totally agree with that. (laughs) It's funny because if you ever hear him talk, he sounds so educated. Well, he probably is. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I haven't, like, researched him to see, you know, if he's got, like, a Dolph Lundgren brain, but <laughs> that guy's, you know yeah, Dolph, could, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, he's, like, a, a PhD in chemistry or something. Yeah, he's, like, crazy smart, apparently. <laughs> and they, they even mixed that into the storyline of Expendables 2. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was cool. Yeah, I never would have thought it, watching his movies from the 90s and shit. Yeah, because he just seems like this big muscle-bound dildo. Yeah, he does. And I guess back on the topic of zombie, we should get to get down to business. Oh, is it review time? I guess. Yeah. Tammy is still hating me because I made her review Halloween 2 by Rob Zombie. I was mad at you before when I found out you didn't love Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Now I'm really mad at you. But I like Scooby-Doo. I mean, what's wrong with... with but you don't love it? Scooby-Doo. But I don't want to love Scooby-Doo. You have... You're... I find very few horror fans that don't like Scooby-Doo. It's like... I do like it. It's like kindergarten horror. I like it. I just don't love it. Okay, well... <clears throat> Halloween 2, 2009. Uh, written and directed by Rob Zombie... Starring Scout Taylor Compton, Tyler Maine, Malcolm McDowell, and Danielle Harris. You, it's your pick, so you go. Okay. I'll give a little synopsis. Uh, picks up right where the original zombie Halloween left off. Uh, Lori shot Michael Myers in the face. And she's kind of 
running down the street because he's in shock and crying and everything. And uh, Sheriff shows up, Sheriff Chucky, and uh, brings her back. And it kind of skips ahead to a to a year later where um, Lori is now living with the sheriff and Annie. And she is pretty much spiraling down a drain of insanity. She's her brain just can't handle what what's happened. Annie's lived through the first one, has the scars on her face to prove it. Does not get along with Lori anymore, and it kind of goes from there as their everyday life and Michael Myers coming back into it. I do like Halloween too. It has its flaws. Um, there are a lot of things I like about it. There's a few things I don't like about it. Um, overall, I mean, Lori they kind of turned Scout's character into a kind of like a grungy punk girl, uh, which is okay. It's kind of a different take because it's, it's nothing that the 1981 Halloween 2 would have done. And this one, it, it's more about Lori going insane than really <clears throat> Michael Myers coming back and killing everybody. <laughs> what I really don't get is the damn white horse and Michael Myers' mom keeps appearing. It's it's just a really weird part of the movie and it's kind of pointless. I think they could have actually not had Cherry Moon in this movie at all. Um, and it still would, it probably would have been a lot better. Because I think that takes away a, a lot from the storyline. This movie does have a lot of cameos, as most Rob Zombie movies do. Uh, Daniel Roebuck, Caroline Williams, Margaret Kidder has a pretty nice part. Brad Dourif is Sheriff Brackett, of course. And um, a few things I don't like about it. I don't like the death scenes. The death scenes are way overdone in this one. I mean, Michael Myers just doesn't stab him once or twice. He stabs him 15 fucking times, and he, their head explodes on the ground, and their skulls crushed in. I don't think he needs to go that far with it. I, I don't know what point he was trying to prove with that. It just, I don't know, it was just, it was like every death, it was just excessive stabbing or excessive, you know, stomping on the guy's face. Yeah, could they have got a bigger guy to play him? Jesus Christ. Oh, Tyler Mayne is huge. I met him, and uh, me compared to him, I mean, all I, came, I don't even think I came up to his chest. <laughs> He's a big dude. I think, is it? The other thing I didn't like, though, too, was the uh, Michael Myers having that whole big full beard. What's up with that? I mean, I just... Didn't think that was necessary. Well, he's been out there roaming around for two years. I guess, but I mean, couldn't couldn't you shave? <laughs> I mean, he can still be psycho, but he still knows how to shave. I, you know, I'm just I'm letting you do your review, and then I'm gonna have my fun. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, I mean, overall, I would give this movie out of ten stars. I would give it six. Um. And only because of the things that I just don't like about it. A lot of times the story is kind of all over the place. Um, and it doesn't take that much away from it, but it could have been could have been put together a lot more. At the beginning of the movie when there's a hospital scene with Lori in the hospital right after everything and they're doing surgery on her and Michael Myers is chasing her, it's kind of paying, um, paying the respects to the original part two because... It all took place in the hospital. It was just a dream sequence, but I think if it, it actually, if that wasn't a dream sequence and it kind of would have followed that, I think it would have been a little bit better. But Rob wanted to make it his own, so I can understand that. Uh, that's what, you know, with the, the hospital scene, that's where I kind of got confused a little bit 
because it picks up, like you said, right where the first one leaves off. You're cutting out a little bit. Am I? Mm-hmm. Just a little. Uh-oh. Um. Anyway, it picks it picks up right where the first one left off, right? Mm-hmm. And so the sheriff finds her on the road, takes her to the hospital, and then here comes Michael. So I, I kind of got lost as to where it was real and where it actually started to become a dream. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because there's really no break in between other than she had surgery and then she woke up. Right. You know, so I kind of got confused in there, but. I think that was purpose on purpose, too. What, to confuse people? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, he did a good it job. Right. He's <clears throat> screwed in the head. Let's confuse everybody. <laughs> Yeah, but sometimes you have to confuse people in a good way. Right. And this movie just, I'm not a fan of this movie at all. And I originally watched it because I didn't like the first one. And really? No, I didn't, I, I didn't like the first one. Um, and so I thought, well, I'll watch the second one because the first one was so idiotic. How can the second one even be close to what the, the first one was. It's basically the second one can't be any worse than the first one, is what I was thinking. <laughs> you were wrong? I was wrong. I hate this movie. Because it, it's you you know as well as I do, if somebody other than Rob Zombie would have walked into um, Dimension Films and said, here's this movie I made, blah, 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 they would have laughed him out of Hollywood. Yeah. Um, I do know on this movie, because the first movie, um, was a Mustafa Akkad's son, was it Malek, I think his name is? Yeah. They kind of gave him the rules of Halloween and what he needed to follow, what he needed to have in it. And on this one, they just kind of let him loose, as you can tell. Well, I don't think necessarily that letting Rob Zombie loose with anything is a good idea. <laughs> right. Um, that's just my personal opinion. Now, before anybody starts hating on me, I like Rob Zombie. I think he's, you know, he's a stand-up guy. He seems really nice, but he should stick to music, in my opinion. Um, because I do, I love his music. I've been listening to it for years, but... Uh, have you heard the new stuff? No, I haven't. I'm, I'm old school. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you wouldn't have that same opinion if you heard any of his newer stuff. I hate what he did to these characters. He took this, the wholesome character of Laurie Strode and pulled every single thing out of her that made her a heroine and turned her into some prescription drug-addicted whiny bitch. And I almost wanted to take a hammer to my computer several times because I couldn't listen to her scream and cry and whine anymore. I had to stop it and, like, go to lunch and then come back. Um, I don't like what he did to Dr. Loomis's character. Took him from somebody who is really just out to help Michael Myers and keep him from inflicting all this carnage on this town and turned him into an obnoxious, fame-seeking bastard, basically. I don't like the way he humanized Michael Myers. By turning him into this victim. You know, he did that in the first one, though. 
And I I absolutely hate that he found a way to bring back his no-acting wife after he killed her off in the first one. And again, I'm sure she's, you know, she's hot, she's sexy, she's got a nice body. I'm sure she's a very nice person, but I don't think she's a very good actress. And I'm with you on the horse thing. Yeah, that that, that was the only thing about, the, really, only thing about the movie that really bothered me was they kept... Michael Myers' mom with this horse walking around, and they explain the horse kind of at the beginning. Of yeah, the at the beginning. Yeah, with a little statement, but still, it's still it's still pointless. Shrimping Zombie didn't need to be in the movie. Um, I don't <clears> think she's a terrible actress. I mean, she's not the best. I really liked her in Devil's Rejects. But um, I think what makes what for me what makes her not a very good actress is she doesn't emote. She has no emotion on her face ever. She's like. Desmond Harrington in wrong turn. She her face. She just doesn't emote any emotions. She doesn't emote any emotions. <laughs> if that makes sense. I don't. I'm not sure if it made sense, but we'll go with it. Yeah, just go with it. Let it marinate. You'll get it in a minute. <laughs> Emoting the emotions. <clears throat> Emoting emotions. All right, I'm gonna have to remember that. <laughs> and I didn't. I didn't find one person in this film likable at all really not even sheriff bracket yeah but he he wasn't even a hero he was basically like a minor character he was a minor character and he wasn't really a hero and every time he he talked he was in it a little more than the first one at least and every time he talked all i could see was chucky would you watch every brad Dorf movie and say oh it's chucky and you just see chucky yes okay (laughs) i mean i watched what was it? One who flew over the cuckoo's nest. The other night was actually on TV, and I did not see Chucky. You didn't? I did not see Chucky. I think it's his voice. It's He's like, you know, he Very has strange. one of those distinctive voices that it, when you hear it, you immediately know who it belongs to. Right. And you always associate associate it with some character somewhere. You know, the, those standout voices. Yeah. I do, anyway. I do to a point, but when I when I see him in another movie, I don't say, I just see Chucky. I mean, I can actually see him playing the role. I think he did a pretty decent job as Sheriff Brackett. Um, <clears throat> no, he did. I mean, he did a really good job. I wasn't, I wasn't saying anybody. So was, you like his character, huh? Yeah, I like his character. Oh, I thought you didn't like any of them. <laughs> he wasn't. I'm talking about the people that you're supposed to root for and go, yay! Don't kill her. Let's, you know. Okay. Make it to the end and blah blah blah. No, I wanted them all dead. Even Annie. Yeah, she was kind of a bitch though. Annie was supposed to be dead in the first one. Right, and they did bring her back, which I like though because I like Daniel Harris. Yeah, and it still amazes me that she's like thirty-six years old and she can pass for a teenager. Yeah, she's she always looks really young. I mean, she's a short person. I couldn't believe how little she was. Yeah, she's tiny. But she's cute. Yes, very. I agree with that. And I don't like her. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, just because she's 36 and she can pass for a teenager. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. well, I bet she still gets carded for beer and shit. She may. I bet she does. Wouldn't surprise me at all. I don't um, get carded. I don't get carded. I'm bald. Nobody carded bald man. <laughs> You're the bald man. In my opinion, it, the best thing about Halloween 2 is the special effects makeup and the end 
when John Carpenter's theme music kicked in and the credits started to roll. That's, you know, that's the best for me. And if you want a rating, I'm sorry, you're not going to like it, but I would give it probably like a 2 out of 10. Well, you can give it any rating you want. Oh, I know that. But it's, you know, I just don't, it's not a movie for me. I won't watch it again, I guarantee that. Well, I think we should review it again sometime. No. No. I mean, from the death threats you've given me in the past two days, <laughs> we're all weak, really. All weak. I kind of thought at one point, why didn't you agree to this one? Nuh-uh. I only threatened to shoot you once. You only threatened to shoot me once, but I did hear a lot of grief throughout the week. But it's okay. I can take it. Well, you live pretty far away, so it's not like, you know, I'm not just going to fly there and shoot you and come home because you made me watch Halloween 2. Right. Um, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> I did look it up on IMDb, though. Um, they have a rating there of 4.8. And yeah. that's out of... Huh? It wasn't too popular. No. <clears throat> when I saw the movie theaters, and this, the first time I saw it, I I sort of liked it. I didn't I didn't really know what to think because it was so different. It really hit in Sun Cannon. And when it came out on DVD, I bought it. And I watched it again. And I, I liked it a lot more. I didn't like it a second time. I should mention, too, that I'm I'm the gore whore. I like the gory stuff. It doesn't bother me. I'm not one of those that appreciates gore just for the sake of gore. Right. And I'm with you in the overkill part of it, where it was just too much. And Michael Myers does not grunt. He doesn't have a beard, either. Yes, and he doesn't walk around in a hooded coat made out of animal pelt. Well, he did put the mask on when he killed somebody, though. Yeah, but that was stupid. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, he didn't mean to keep anything the same. He tried to do something different. And by God, he did. You have to give him credit for that. He kind of took a chance, because I, I'm pretty sure he knew the diehard fans probably wouldn't like him. Or most of them wouldn't, anyway. I would take Carpenter's Halloween over... Rob Zombie's Halloween any day. Well, I'm not. I'm not trying to say that he did a better job than Carpenter. I mean, not many people can. John Carpenter is a legend. We're gonna meet him tomorrow, by the way. And oh yeah, you're getting ready to go to Horrorhound, aren't you? I am. I'm freaking super pumped. <laughs> but I mean, John Carpenter has done so many great things with Halloween and They Live, which since that's come out on DVD on Blu-ray, it's only been out for a couple months. I've watched it like five times. I like that movie. <clears throat> I love that movie. That's a good movie. I just I haven't seen anything from Zombie that other than that. Um, what was that? There was a commercial. There was a commercial he did. Oh, was that the, the was it the Zombie Woman of the SS or? No, no, no. It was a a Woolite commercial. Have you seen yeah. the Rob Zombie Woolite commercial? I don't think I have. That is pretty damn epic, and I think out of all the things I've seen from Rob Zombie. I like that commercial the best. You'll have to go look that up. I think it's like a Woolite. I think you can just like Google Rob Zombie commercial and yeah, it, sure it, it should up. come up. But yeah, it was for like Woolite or some some detergent that's like really soft on your clothes. Something like that. I don't know. I got completely off topic, but that's usual. Yeah, that's just you. That's just me. I'm kind of scatterbrained. I'm kind of like that too. Good. Then our podcast should be fun. Yeah, Either. ideas that are all over the place. And I know it kind of seems like I, I'm back and forth on this movie, and I kind of really am. I do like it, but there's 
there are there are more things about Halloween 2 that I don't like that I usually when movies that I like there's usually a one or two things I don't like on this one there's there's several things that I don't like but I still think it's a good movie the real the thing that really gets me is is really the overdone deaths it really it didn't make me mad but it just he just keeps on pounding somebody's face and stabbing somebody it's like okay stop move on to the next thing let's go I wonder so if that could be because I, I I was I did watch it today, and I was thinking about different stuff that I didn't think about before. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if, like, the overkill... Because he wasn't like that in the first one, right? No. Um, he was pretty much just like the original Michael Myers was. Just okay, so, so I'm wondering if, like, the overkill part of 2 was because he had mm-hmm. the ghost of his mom, like, driving him. Could be. You know? Because he had her and then his younger self and the horse... Pretty much following him around the whole movie. Right. Which, you know, could be kind of creepy. Maybe he was just scared. Maybe. <laughs> you know, you got two ghosts and a horse following you around. A horse would be enough to scare me. Maybe that's what he was doing the whole movie, is he's just trying to get away from the fucking horse. Probably. He just, he, I don't, <laughs> but he probably just turned around his mom and said, Mom, let's get the horse. The horse out of here. And you know what else I noticed this time was um, when he ran into those people at the field, one of them was like yelling at him while that while they were attacking him, and he he said when he was yelling, he said, "I told you to stay out of my field," which leads me to believe that Michael Myers has been interacting with people at some point. I think he was probably just like a bum and sleeping in the field. Yeah, maybe but, he was killing their dogs and eating them or something. Yeah, I didn't like that part. Well, and that's that's. Halloween, though. I mean, that happened in the first one. That happened in several of them, which but I But it didn't like show it, before. though. You know, I've noticed, I've really noticed a lot in horror, especially slasher movies, animals die a lot. That sucks. Not in Friday the 13th movies. Um, Jason has yeah. Jason has never killed a kid or an uh, animal as far as like a pet animal that I know of. I'm, I could be wrong on that, but I'm sure. Think somebody, you're right. I'm sure somebody will tell me after everybody gets done hating me because I don't like Rob Zombie. Nobody, um, people my age, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I guess that's it for our very first episode of all this and gore. We should probably thank Six Foot Plus for inviting us to do this. Thank you very much. Monster Matt Patterson for suggesting to invite us to do this. Oh, did he? See, I didn't even know that. I think it was in the email. Didn't you read it? I read it, but I, maybe I skipped over while I was drinking. You I was probably on, just skipped it. I was on vacation Okay. when well. I got the email, and I was at a kid's place, so I was drinking heavily. Right, okay. So, yeah, kids screaming, you know, all that stuff. And I guess we'll see you guys next time. On Twisted Central's All This and More. And remember, Twisted Central is putting on a film festival in December. If you are a filmmaker, you can submit your film at www.twistedtalesfilmfestival.com. That's Tales, T-A-I-L-S. Yes, and we do that because all proceeds... Go to charity, and our charity this year is Paws in the City, and it's P A W S in the City dot org. Stay twisted. See you next time. Bye. You take the mummy's head and twist right. I'll take the mummy's feet and twist left, and we'll produce some mummy juice. All right, now let's twist again, like we did last summer. Let's twist again. Like we did last year, oh dear. 
and Psycho Radio. Hope you enjoyed all this in gore as well as Heather Buckley's obscurities. This time around you got them both, but in the future we'll probably keep them separate, you know, have their own episodes so they both can enjoy the spotlight respectively for themselves. Speaking of spotlight sharing, the spotlight will be passed around over 25 bands at Ghoul's Night Out 
the horror rock event of the year, taking place at Dingbats in Clifton, New Jersey. On July 20th and 21st, you'll see Vagora, Daro Chemical Company, Order of the Fly, Nimvind, the first USA showing of Kitty in a Casket, Argyle Goolsby of Blitzkid, and many more. Unfortunately, Die Monster Die had to drop off the bill, which sucks, but their guitarist, Shadow Windhawk, will be in attendance. You'll recognize him because he'll probably be the one covered in blood. Though that probably won't distinguish him from many of the people that would go to Ghoul's Night Out. There's still plenty of more reasons to go even if Die Monster Die aren't going to be there. Foremost, it is the swan song of this week's GNO band. Yes, bad hormones are being put on the shelf as Paul of the Living Dead is going to be working on his solo material, which if you've been following him on Facebook, you've been discovering it's fantastic. Uh, it's going to be a bummer that bad hormones are going to be more of a special type of thing, but they're going out in style. So head on over to Dingbats in July and raise a glass in toast to these guys. They are awesome in giving us a preview of the upcoming farewell album, Bad Hormones in 3D. This is Maniac.
The Polecats, Gravedigger Rock, and that'll wrap up this episode of Six Foot Plus. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. Follow us online at sixfootplus.com as well as at sixfootplus on Twitter and facebook.com slash sixfootplus. As always, read Gravediggers Local 16 at gravediggerslocal.com. Follow them at GDL16 on Twitter and like them on Facebook, facebook.com slash gravediggerslocal. Big thanks goes out to Heather Buckley, Monster Matt Patterson, and Tammy and JR of TwistedCentral.com. I'll be back next week with another batch of music and more. We'll get used to this new schedule, and there'll probably be some bumps here and there, but that's how it goes. Thank you for listening to this show, if you're a first-time listener or you've been with it since the beginning. Let's close out this episode as we start a new year of this show with Six Feet Town. Take it easy, listener. I'll talk with you next week.
Plus episode 54, Six Foot Plus Two. This has been Six Foot Plus, a GDL 16 production. To support, subscribe, rate, review, and recommend Six Foot Plus. The theme song, Carpe Noctum, performed by the Madeira. Shivala, Yvonne. Urban Graveyard Lounge music, performed by Kava Khan. Mahalo. Episodes of The Metal Morgue were produced by Dr. Gangry. Monster Matt Patterson of the Monster Matt Minute can be found online at hahahorror.com. Heather Buckley appeared courtesy of Liberty and Prosperity, as well as Blood and Guts. All this and gore produced by Twisted Central of twistedcentral.com. To find out about all the music you heard on this episode, as well as all past episodes and all those important links, go to Six Foot Plus. That's the number 6, F-T-P-L-U-S dot com. <laughs>